All right, so uh, this morning again, we're, like I was talking about, we're going to talk about justification. And um, just as a recap, again with my awesome artwork here, um, we've been talking about man's two main problems. That we have a wrath of God problem because of our sin, but the sin is also, it's not just that we've done wrong, that our nature is wrong. That He created us in a particular way, and sin has destroyed that nature and so we have a nature problem and we have a rebellion problem that God's wrath is going to deal with if we're not if he doesn't do something and so we've been looking at the Holy Spirit's work in us in us and that's that regenerative work right so the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates us remember we're the dead guy here and this regeneration happens through the word of God and so dead guy gets up like in the valley of dry bones and now we have flesh on us and we cross across this as we, as we exercise repentance and faith in our conversion. And we, we now stand in this, the other side of that river, so to speak, of life. And then we're moving toward these high places. So we have repentance, we have faith, and we have a new life that moves us. As Jesus said, you're moving from death to life. But it does leave us with a question, though, because it seems like we're only answering our sin nature problem. Um, what happened to the wrath issue? And so um, this particular issue is the one that man most likes to forget. You know, either we're in one side of the ditch where we say you got to work your way toward being just before God, or it's really not that big a deal. Your sin wasn't that big a deal. And so we're going to look at both of those things. You know, if you look at Romans 1.17, it says, you know, all of us, deserve this wrath of God and so but what do we do here we've been talking about regeneration a lot of things that deal with that nature problem but what about this wrath problem and so does our renewal our change our sanctification make us right with God is that why we're declared righteous before God or is there something else we're going to see as we look this morning that we are justified through Christ alone and what does that mean? We're going to dive. We're going to do a deep dive into this justification thing um, as we look at it. And so, there's a great history of the doctrine of justification. Uh, the church has struggled with this, um, and it's been a controversy um, that really led up to the Reformation. Um, that this problem that we had, and so I'm going to go through some Roman Catholic doctrine that set up the whole problem that we have is justification. But I'm not going to leave the Armenians out of this either because in our own time we got some problems that we're dealing with there. So we need to understand justification as it is explained in the Scripture to us to give us a clear understanding of how we are justified before God. And we're using language that I'm going to help define a little bit through the Scriptures this morning to help us see it a little bit better. So let's start out with what this center controversy was that spawned the Reformation. A lot of words here. I'm going to talk through them with you. And then we're going to use this awesome graphic I came up with this morning to hopefully sell it. More of my great artwork you guys really appreciate. So the Roman Catholic Church, in, in essence, and there's quite a bit that was written on this. There's quite a bit of issues there. And I'm going to, again, it's a Sunday school summary. So if you want to learn more, there's a lot of great doctrine uh, books about it. But I'm going to give you the kind of the high-level view here. And so the Roman Catholic Church view of justification confuses it with sanctification. 
And in their view of it, there's merit on our part that's involved. So according to this doctrine of the the Catholic doctrine, justification is this process that begins with an infusion of grace at baptism. So we're seeing words that you're like, wait a minute, that's not what I've learned. Well, it's not because it's not scriptural. And so I'm going to explain this a little bit more, but their view is much different than ours. And it ends up being this this situation where, and of course, this is according to the Council of Trent. Do you guys know what the Council of Trent was? So the Roman Catholic Church came together and created the Council of Trent. And what did they do? They condemned all of us. They basically said this Reformation stuff is apostasy. It goes against church tradition, and we don't like it. And so they said things like this. By his, little h, by his, that's your, good works, the justified man really acquires a claim to a supernatural reward from God. So in this, you see they're very clear in this justification being something that you are involved in. That your good works are meriting a supernatural reward. You're like, well, where is Christ in this? This is where at baptism, remember, they think something miraculous is happening at baptism. We view baptism much different. We see baptism as an acknowledgement of God's giving us something. Where they look at something from his, his covenant, that it's a sign of his covenant to us. They see it as God is giving you something and infusing grace into you, and it makes you saved. And so I'm going to explain this a little bit more as I show my graphic. But we can see there's something different going on here with their view. So justification and salvation, um, in their view, can actually be lost. We don't believe that, okay? That's not what the Scripture says. So they talk about things like mortal sin, and so I'm, I'm introducing terms that you're not familiar with because they're not biblical. And that was the whole problem that Martin Luther had. Remember that in the Catholic Church, they have church tradition on an equal footing with the Scriptures. And we're going to talk about some of the, the massive doctrines that came out, like Sola Scriptura, which said Scripture alone is the authority. Well, the Catholic Church says, no, it's not. It's combined with the with the leadership of the church. The Pope is speaking for God and can speak things that are outside of Scripture. And so and they're they're equally as an, as authoritative as the Scripture, and we would say, no, it's not. And so they introduce things like mortal sin. Um, and this means that um, the lost believer, um, you know, we were we're basically pulled up into this point of being just before God through this infusion of Christ's righteousness. Weird words, and I'm going to explain it here as we go. So their idea is that you're, you're a sinner, and yep, you're dead, and God infuses something into you, and it gets you up to, let's call it, the, the saved line. And then from there on out through your life, in order to stay saved, you must continue to do positive works to stay above it. And if you commit a mortal sin, you go below it. And so then what do you have to do? You must receive what's called absolution. And so that's why Catholics go in and they, 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 they go before a priest and the priest absolves them of this sin and gets them back above the salvation line. 
So what happens if you're a Catholic and you die in a mortal sin? You have a big problem now. So now you're below the saved line and you're dead. So how do you get absolved? And this is where you're going to recognize it because in this point of the Catholic doctrine, what you're going to see is they inserted something else called indulgences. And this is where what happened is Martin Luther got so upset with them over this very issue. So indulgences is where we take this merited grace by the saints. It's like a treasure trove because saints were so good they had, a, they had obtained for the Pope a kind of a treasure trove of goodness. And so when you die in your mortal sin below that line, you could pay for the Pope to give you indulgences to bring your loved one out of purgatory. So purgatory was this view of, of hell. or It's a place between heaven and hell where you go if you're a believer, but you died in a mortal sin. And so we're springing you out of purgatory, and the guilt was put on the people, and that's what flipped Martin Luther finally out. He had enough, and when uh, Tetzel came selling indulgences really to pay for the, for the uh, St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, he had enough, and he posted his 93 Thesis. And so, so let, me, let me go through that one more time for you, showing incredible graphics. All right, so here we go. So we have merit of justification over here. This is the zero line. This line right here is your line between saved and unsaved. And literally, this is what what we're talking about here. So here's you. You're on this line right here. And what happens is you're dead. And right here at your baptism, you're infused grace from Christ. Sounds kind of right, but not so much. And so what that does is that infusion pops you up here to this, this line. You're now saved. But then what else do they say? You must now live a righteous life in which you gain God's pardon such that you are saved. But if you commit a mortal sin, you fall down below this line. Then you go back in for absolution, you go back above the line. And so if you're really good like a saint, you go way up here and you get all this extra stuff gets given to the Pope so he can then, if you're dead, we can do indulgences and bring you back up. This is what Martin Luther was living with. And this is absolutely wrong. It's not scriptural. It doesn't follow what the scripture says at all. Matter of fact, it adds to it and created a really a hell for those who were in the church at the time. And Luther was working through that hell because he understood that he had a problem. He had to stay above that line. And so how did he do that? He was like, how do I do that? And so this is a wrong view of justification, and we're going to go through it and and see what the biblical view of justification is on this. But they had created a works-based salvation that to this day is still there. And it creates a real problem. And so people are working their way to salvation. And Luther said, how do you do that? So Luther had a big struggle. So Luther struggled with living in such a way as to be right with God. He understood that he had to stay above the salvation line. And he said, well, every time I sin, I fall below it. 
So he was constantly working. If you've seen the movie Luther, it really goes through. You see him walking on his knees, and he's, he's trying to work his way toward, toward being right with God, to being just before God. He understood the clear teaching that God was holy and that he was not, and that he, had, he, he, he was a, definitely a sinner. But because the Roman Catholic teaching about justification was based on merit, he couldn't see how he could ever achieve enough merit to be declared righteous before God. He got stuck where Job was in Job 9.2, where it says, Job says, how can a man be right before God? And he struggled there. And it really, it really, I mean, he just, he was one of these guys that he knew his heart, he knew he was sinful, and he's like, what, do, I, I just can't seem to get enough to go there. But it was interesting, when he studied Romans, in Romans 1.16-17, he realized the truth about justification and God's plan for salvation of men. And so that's where I want to go to next. So, if we look at what it says in, in Romans 1.16, it says, The just shall live by faith. And so Luther recognized this, and this is his writings. Luther said, after he read this, he said, Then I grasp that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through sheer grace, or uh, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. So the things he was, he was picking up here is this this justice was external to him. He wasn't earning it. God was declaring it. And so he's starting to see that even though he understood he was a sinner, that God was doing something in how God saw him. And so what we see here is this, and this is the crux of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Justification is a judicial act of God in which he declares those of us who are believe in Christ as righteous, get this, on the grounds of the work and merit of Christ. You don't do anything in this context of, of being declared righteous. And we're going to dive into this more. But this declaration as a, as a judicial act by God is what we must see when we look at justification. And so I'm, I'm using a lot of big terms here, but we're, we're going to get to it. But you can see how the Roman Catholic teaching had confused sanctification, working toward becoming more like Christ, with justification. And that's where you see things where you have this idea that, you know, remember we were going back and forth across the bridge? Remember there's only one bridge, one conversion event that happens, and then you're moving, being sanctified. Sanctification is completely separate from justification. Two separate things are going on here. Remember, both dealing with our main problems. We have a we have a wrath problem before God, we have a sin nature problem. Regeneration and sanctification are moving toward fixing the the nature problem, but at the same time we're given faith through God to fix the wrath problem when he declares that we are righteous through the merit of Christ. So This is an important distinction here. We're going to bring it down a little bit more. So we're not made righteous by justification. I'll say that again. We're not made righteous. Okay, that happens in sanctification. We are declared righteous by justification. So I'm fixing to get to all our scriptures that are going to help us see this, but these are important for us to understand. You are not made righteous in this declaration. As a matter of fact, 
you are not righteous, quite frankly, you're still ungodly when God declares you righteous. So when do we become completely righteous in ourselves? When, when are we fully righteous? When, when I'm saying that, not the declaration, but what changes in us? When does it end our sanctification? At death. And what happens at death? So we have glorification. And so this is where our lifelong pursuit in sanctification to becoming more and more like Christ when we finally die, we get the full merit of Christ and we become like Him. And so now our nature is like Him. It never happens before then. We're working our way toward it in our sanctification, but what what's makes grace so amazing is that God declares us righteous even when we're not. And we're going to understand why that is actually a holy and just thing to do. Because think about it, as a judge, if a judge came up and said, you know, I know that this man has murdered your family, but you know what, he's sorry, and so therefore, I'm going to let him go. You'd be like, what? I mean, we see it all over our, 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 our justice system right now. We're, we're watching injustice happen before our very eyes, and we see it, we, we know it. We look at it and say, this is not just. You know, these people are being accused of things they didn't do, or... Or people who do stuff are being let off without justice being served. So we got to understand that our justification is more than just being forgiven by God. And so we're not working our way toward justification, but we need to also understand that justification is not just a simple forgiveness. You know, this is where when we get into forgiveness in the Christian faith, that we see where we mess it up. Forgiveness is not forgiving and forgetting. You know, we're told so often like that. Someone does something wrong to you and you're like, just forgive and forget and move on. Really? Is that a just thing? God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. And and you're like, wait a minute, I thought he forgives us. He does. But something else had to happen in order to make it just. And this is where Armenianism gets into a lot of trouble. Because they forget the second part of this, which is what Christ does. And we're going to talk about that as we go. So I want you to get this in your head. We're not made righteous, we're declared righteous. And why? It's through Christ. So justification is a legal declaration by God as our sovereign creator. So let's stop for a second. This sovereign creator thing is very important to us to understand. God has a right to do with us whatever he wants. Why? Because he's the sovereign creator. We are under authority to God no matter what we claim about ourselves. The atheist is still, is still subject to God because God is the creator. He has a right to do with us as he pleases because he is the sovereign creator. And so we, we, we understand that in his character. And so this act of justification is the, the main judge, God, declaring something about us. So let's go through what, what, what Luther, or, or I'm going to summarize kind of what Luther thought in Jones's reading here. This is, uh, this is again in his book, great, great book. So Jones says this about that. I don't have my glasses. Good preparation time here, Jim. I could read it, but it'll be ugly without glasses. All right, so this is what Jones says to help us understand this. It's fairly... Um, so I'll, I'll, 
I'll go through it here. So, so he says this. He says, In justification, we are not made righteous. We are declared righteous. The thing is quite different between made and declared. To say that in justification you are made righteous is to confuse it with sanctification. That was the Roman Catholic problem. Justification is something legal. It is God as the judge who is responsible for administering his own law, remember he's sovereign, saying to us that as regards to that law, he is satisfied with us. Why? Because of the righteousness of Christ. Justification is a declaratory act. It does not do anything to us. It says something about us. It is no reference to our actual state or condition inside. It is reference to our standing in position and appearing in the presence of God. That's the biblical doctrine of justification. So do you see what's happening here? Over time, the Catholic Church had greatly confused sanctification and justification. Remember, justification says something about you. It's not doing something to you. Right? And so this is why it's so important to understand the work of Christ on the cross. And that's what we're going to go into when we start looking at this. How is God's declaration a just declaration? So, biblical justification. Again, well, I'm going to say it again. It's God's declaration as regards to the law that he's satisfied with us because of the righteousness of Christ. So justification's a declaratory act of God alone. we got nothing to do with this. Right? It does not do anything to us. It says something about us. It is no reference to my actual state. It is reference to my standing before God. In other words, he is declaring you righteous. It is an act upon which we are declared right with him. So again, we got nothing to do with it. We receive mercy through faith, which is the instrument. And I'm going to explain what that means a little bit later. Faith is the instrument of our salvation. And that, again, what's faith? A gift from God. It's the instrument in which he's applying this to us. And so this is the big picture. This is what all the great doctrines of Reformed faith come down to this sentence alone. By the grace of God alone, in faith alone, through Christ alone, based on the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone, you're declared righteous. Those are all the solas, by the way, and we'll review them here in a minute. There's a lot of stuff in there. But you can see what's happening here. Everything that you have when we stand before God in judgment is based on his declaration of what he declares about you concerning what Christ did for you. You will not stand in judgment. You'll be clothed in the righteousness that is foreign to you. It is from Christ. And it is God's declaratory act concerning your position before him. So, let's dive into the scriptures. Alright, so the scriptures show, um, throughout the scripture, you see God making declarations of righteousness, both for those who have, who have sinned against him, as well as what righteousness he declares concerning Christ. So, in Exodus, we see God declaring the wicked are not going to be left off, or let off. He's going to judge them. And in Deuteronomy, he says he's going to justify the righteous and he's going to condemn the wicked. These are legal actions that he is stating concerning their condition before him. 
So Romans 20 through 20, if you've got your Bibles, let's, 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 let's look at this. So Romans 20 through 28, we're going to see that this meaning of justification is, is constantly repeated by Paul. This is the main thing that drove Luther to understand what righteousness really was and why he so rebelled against what the Catholic Church was teaching. So, let's read it. Romans 3, 20 through 28. Listen to how the word justified is used in this, in this whole... You, you, you're going to see it over and over again. It says, Paul writes this to the Romans. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since the law comes through the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Remember we said when our eyes are opened, we see our sin, we repent. And so, but this righteous act, this declaration of God is not through any works. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Well, what? I thought we were, what, what are we talking about there? Now he's talking about Christ. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of Christ or the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. Notice what he's done there. We have this legal problem before God. We've disobeyed his law, but yet there's a righteousness that's outside of the law. He's talking about what Christ has done on your behalf in which he is now declaring you righteous through Christ. That's why it's apart from the law. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've got a wrath problem and are justified by His grace as a gift. Your faith is a gift to you. right? Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So again, we're seeing this righteousness through Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation for his blo- by His blood. What does propitiation mean? It's a satisfaction, right? His blood satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. Okay, so you're getting this idea that Jesus is doing something here that's outside our ability to to do the law. To be received by faith. Remember, it's the instrument in which we receive salvation is by faith. This was to show that God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you see what he says there in the last thing? He is the justifier. You don't do anything to get justice. He does it. And he's also just in what he does. So he's not like the judge that says, eh, we're just going to blow it off. It's no big deal. He's saying, no, I I took care of all that. Not only are you forgiven, but I've dealt with the problem of your sin and the consequences of it through Christ. And we're going to see that as we go and we start talking about things like imputation. He says, so what then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No. But by the law of faith. So again, he says, you're condemned under the law, but yet you're declared righteous through faith. And it's like, okay, we're, we're starting to see that there's something extreme going on here that's different. So look at Romans. To turn a little bit ahead, go to Romans 4, 5 through 7. So this, again, is Paul. He's expounding on this. And he says, To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. So who's who's justified? It's the ungodly. We, we, We don't earn our justification. There's nothing you can do to do it. 
God declares you righteous even when you're ungodly. Right there. He justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Wow, okay. Just as David also speaks of the blessing to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Remember, David said this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. David clearly understood that he could not earn his way to being right with God. He said, Blessed are those that are declared right before God in spite of their sin. And so we see this clearly. And then we go on to Galatians And I'm going to read these, so it will be difficult to kind of catch up with me, but just listen to the words of the Lord. Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ, so that we also who have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. And Paul goes on to say later on in 3.11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And then lastly, we see this comment in Romans. Again, these are declarations of God. Romans 5, 1, he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and here's the big one, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So where's the wrath problem solved? Right here. God has come and said, I am wrathful for your sin, but through Christ you have peace with me. When you stand at the judgment day, we will not be judged for our sins. Why? Because you're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he says, because of what Christ did, I'm imputing that to you. And we stand amazingly before God, clothed in a righteousness not of our own, for what Christ has done. And so no works will justify us ever. And then we get to Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what it means. When you stand on the judgment seat, no condemnation comes to you. That's why grace is so amazing. And so God declares that we're at peace with him. Why? Because he declares it so. Solo fide. All right. Any questions? I'm going to stop there for a second. Jim, <coughs> For, the, for all of you, he gives me the, the uh, slides. So if you feel like you're missing something, you can look it up online. I just wanted to say that yeah. in case anyone's writing or flipping furiously. Yeah. Sorry about all those flipping. <laughs> yeah, so all those things will be up on a, on a PDF that you can look at. All right, so what are the grounds? Again, let's go through the grounds of justification. So we've, we've already seen through Romans and Galatians, no man is justified by his works, none. So this perfect righteousness, and here comes another big word, imputed to us. So when we look at Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, I'm not going to take time to go through all those things. We're going to see that Christ's work on earth is what imputes to us. God says, I'm taking his work, meritorious work, and I'm giving it to you. And so why can he do this? Why is that okay? And that's what we're going to talk about next. But we see that this righteousness is imputed. We stand in a righteousness that is not our own. It is imputed to us through the propitiation that Christ did on our behalf. And so why is he able to do this? Why is that just? And so let's, let's, let's look at this. We see it clearly in his life, death, and resurrection. That's the key to our righteousness. We must understand this. Again, I said it over and over again. 
If you just look at your righteousness as being forgiven by God, you're missing something that's very important. Yes, we are forgiven, but it's so much more. And it's not this forgive and forget type of forgiveness that we've been given. It's something that if you don't understand the depth of your sin and understand the the effort that God went through in order to redeem you, you might miss the fact that you need a Savior. And that's where I have such a hard time with this this, uh, winsome gospel, hippie Jesus stuff we've been talking about that is Armenianism. Because it underplays sin to such a degree that many people believe that they're saved when they're not. Because they don't understand the depth and the love of which God went to in order to redeem you. Because he is a holy and righteous and just God, Christ comes with a particular mission to fulfill in order to allow God the Father, remember the covenant of redemption, to declare that he accepts the work of Christ on our behalf. So let's, let's take a quick look at this. So first of all, Christ, again, God could have just said, I forgive you, we're good. But he doesn't because that would be unjust. We've rebelled against him. We're traitors. And so he said, I understand that, and we've got to do something about it. So we're going to fix the wrath problem and still stay just. We're not just going to declare that you're forgiven. We're going to do way more than that. And so why does Christ come and do what he does? God had to become incarnate to become man, to become the perfect representative for us, to then to become the perfect sacrifice for us in order that God has the perfect justice in declaring us righteous. So you see it. Perfect life of obedience. He fulfills the requirement of the law under the covenant of works for us. Remember that? Covenant of works. You obey me, live forever. We screwed that up. We failed the covenant. God has to come in the form of Christ, and he takes that on himself. He lives the perfect life for us, which makes him the perfect sacrifice for the propitiation of satisfying of God's wrath for our sin. So why did he have to go to the cross? So now he's lived the perfect life, which makes him the perfect sacrifice, and then he goes to the cross. And so this is where God pours his wrath out on Christ. And so this then allows God to graciously accept his righteousness on our behalf. So the wrath of God is satisfied through the perfect sacrifice of, of, of Christ. And so we're, it's so much more than the forgiveness. Do you see that? It's so much more than just declaring a forgiveness of you. Christ comes and does something incredible. He lives the perfect life. And then God puts him on the cross and says, I'm putting all the wrath for you on him because he is the perfect sacrifice. He merits that for you. And then what is declared in the resurrection? It's where God says, I accept it. It was perfect. I raised him from the dead. I stick him on the right hand. He is now reigning as king, and I've accepted the work that he's done. Remember, that's the end of the covenant of redemption. Remember the covenant of redemption. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all get together and they say, we know that man, when we give him free will, is going to have a sin problem. We're going to fix it. We're still going to pull people out and make them our people, and we're going to do it for them. And so each one of them has an, uh, an act to do. Jesus comes and does these things we just described. Holy Spirit applies that to your life. God's the one that looks at Christ's work and says, I declare you righteous. And that's the beauty of what we're seeing in this awesome book that has explained this to us. And so the Holy Spirit is sent to apply the righteousness to us such that we have faith that's the instrument, and then he sanctifies us all the way to our death. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And we see clearly the covenant of redemption, both accomplished and applied. And what's it all for? 
right there. God's glory. And so again, upon our death, that's when we're glorified. Our declared righteousness now becomes our actual righteousness. All through the saving work of Christ. Remember, not only does He save us on this side of heaven, but we get all of His nature when we die. And so now we're perfect in God's eyes through Christ and we share His nature so we don't sin anymore. We don't die anymore. It is, it is perfect. No more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more sorrow. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Christ has put, He gives us all that when, we're, when, we're, when it's at glorification. All right, any questions, thoughts on that? All right, now I'm going to tee up Richard for next next couple times when he comes and talks. He's going to be talking about sanctification. We must understand this difference. There is such a difference between justification and sanctification. So remember, justification, Richard's going to go into great detail about this, is an act of God the Father. It takes place outside of us. It removes the guilt of our sin, fixes that wrath problem, and it's a one-time and forever declaration by God the Father. You're not going in and out of righteousness. It is a single declaration based on what Christ has done on your behalf, and you are declared righteous. So, you know, if you take this, you understand why we can say that that infants, if they die and they're still God's elect, are still saved. Why? Because God declares it so through the righteousness of Christ. And he, he puts that instrument of faith even into those babies. You know, there's all sorts of things where David says, you know, from the womb... You know, I was yours. And so we understand that through this, this understanding of justification. If, if, that, if that baby's the elect and he dies in the womb, he's still saved because God declares it so. His righteousness is imputed through Christ, same as it is for us. The act of faith is not why we are saved. It is the instrument in which we are saved, where God brings this to us as a gift and we believe and therefore we are declared righteous. But it is not our act that declares us righteous. Our act of faith. And that's where the Armenians get us into a lot of trouble. All right. So that's justification. So what's sanctification? And Rich is going to go into this in great work. This is where we come back to the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what's taking place in us, fixing our sin nature problem. It's removing the pollution of sin and renewing us in the image of God. Again, it's fixing our sin nature problem. And this is a continual process of growing in grace and the knowledge of God until we're made perfect in glory. And so you see these two things that are happening are fixing both the wrath problem as well as fixing the nature problem that we have. And praise be to God that when we're in glory in heaven, all that sin is gone. All right, any thoughts, questions on that? Jim? Yep. Uh, does uh, regeneration and just Oh, that's a great question. So, so the way the... I'll go to my favorite men. <laughs> All right, so what it says about this, what we're talking about is timing. And this goes down a really deep path, but I hope this will answer your question because it's important to understand the when of our salvation. All right, the Westminsters understood that very question and said this said, God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect. So we're going all the way back. From eternity, he's decreed the elect. So, okay, so when does that, does that mean we're, from eternity we were saved? Well, hang on. They, they add to that. 
And Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in due time, in other words, until the Holy Spirit does this, actually apply Christ unto them. That's a conversion. Again, our faith is applied to us as we understand repentance and we move in trusting the the promises of God, that is God applying faith to us, and that is when you're justified. Makes sense? I know sometimes it's like, what's happening? You know, because the order of salvation, a lot of things can happen all at once, or it might take a little bit of time, but I think it's clear here. God declares the elect from eternity, and we're applied that at salvation through faith that he gives us. Best answer I got. I mean, the, uh, to answer your question there, though, uh, justification is a, an act, declaration. Correct. Uh, regeneration is actually basically preparing the soil for the seed. Right. So, which really is not a declaration, but more of a process. Right. And so, when you when you have faith, you know that that's when that's when that application from eternity said you're you're mine where now it's effectual can I make sense kind of what Doc's talking about and what these guys saying here we're going to read some more about what they say about faith in here it's uh it's really good um so this brings up a good question and I think it's along the line of Suzanne's question which is what's the relationship between faith and justification you know, I described it as an instrument, not as an act. And so let's let's kind of look at this. And the Westminster's uh, divines do a really good job of this. What's the relationship of this? Faith is the instrument by which our justification is applied to us. You know, Paul says that our justification, and our, well, our faith is a gift from God too, right? God declares us that through faith, and that is not something we do. It's a gift from God. So what does that mean? And so let's look at the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is in chapter 11. It's the first two sections. And, and, you know, I apologize for the tough Puritan language here. Uh, It's a little bit hard to get through, but I'll stop and and, and talk about these things. I'm going to summarize what they say here in just a second. So listen to Westminster Confession, chapter 11. And that whole chapter 11, by the way, is on justification. If you want to dive in deep... Go grab your Westminster and look at chapter 11 and go read all the scriptural proofs for it and it really kind of bolster you up on these things. So, so this is what it says. So um, this is uh, chapter or, or um, the first paragraph on it, one. It says, Those whom God effectively called, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them. You can tell they were dealing with the Catholic thing. Nope, not doing that not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting legal things, their persons as righteous, not for anything that they did or done by them, but but, but for Christ's sake alone. And they also say, and not by imputing faith itself or the act of believing or any other evangelical obedience to them. So you see how they've also covered the Armenian position here? They're saying, look, all of it is through, through God alone and through Christ alone. 
So they're not saying that they're, they're covering the works part, not through works, and also, read this again, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ. Remember, obediently lived the perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice, therefore God's wrath is satisfied in Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is a gift of God. And they have lots of scriptures that go in there that talk about this thing. And it is one of the mysteries that we have in our faith is to see how we, the unjust, are declared just before God in Christ's righteousness. And that our faith is a gift to us. And it's the instrument in which basically God is saying, through this faith, you are getting what Christ earned for you on the cross. Does that make sense? There's a lot of words there that the Westminster's do. And there's a second part of this that we need to look at too. So faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Read that again. So faith is the alone instrument of justification. It is God's instrument in which he applies the justification to you. You didn't do something, and then he says, because you did it, I'm giving it to you. See the difference? All right, and then they go on to say, yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied by the other saving graces, and is no dead faith, for worketh, but worketh by love. So they're covering that other side of this thing of Pelagianism that says, hey, we can live any way we want and be saved. Nope. He's saying when that faith is applied to you and you're declared righteous, the other things of grace come along with it. Remember, this is our nature problem. God's saying, I'm infusing you, I'm regenerating you, I'm changing your heart too. Not only am I declaring you righteous, but I'm changing you, I'm fixing that nature problem you got. And then the Holy Spirit is in you and is changing your nature. And so you can't still live as a reprobate and still claim that you've got the righteousness of declared from God. It's not going to happen. And that's, they're very clear about that. And so this idea that we have two different natures and we just choose between the two is apostasy. You have one nature, it's been changed, you've been regenerated, and you're moving toward the likeness of Christ. Doesn't mean you don't sin every now and then. You're still not perfect. We don't get that perfect nature until we're in heaven. But you can see that they were very clear about making sure that we understood these things. Our sins are pardoned. We're not made righteous. Remember, we're not made righteous. That's sanctification. There's no infused righteousness. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. It is not infused in us. Faith is the instrument by which he imputes obedience and trust to us. There's no not righteous by act of faith or faith itself. That would be evangelical obedience. That's what's taught in Arminianism. You just have to choose. Nope, you won't do it. Faith alone is the instrument of justification, but it's also accompanied with other saving graces. And here's the bottom line. We'll finish up with this. All justification is from his declaration to our faith is his promise in his promise is a gift from God. Let me read that again. All of justification from his declaration to our faith in his promise is a gift from God. And again, why? Why doesn't, you know, God's not going to share his glory with anybody. God does all this for his glory on our behalf. 
And so if you go back and look at the Reformation, the five solas that are out there, you see the beauty of their understanding of what was conveyed to us through God's revelation in Scripture. First of all, sola scriptura. The authority we have is not rested in the church. It's rested in the authority of God's word alone. That's why John's whole letter written to us is all about, he starts out what? In the beginning was the word. He's talking about this issue of revelation. And so we have sola scriptura. Then we have solo Christus. Okay? Through Christ alone, we're saved. And how do we do that? It's through solo fide, by God's grace alone, solo gratia. And for what purpose? Sola Dea Gloria, for God's glory. So it's, a, it's an awesome picture that we see these covenants of God coming together as it unfolds in the Scriptures and how God declares us righteous, fixes our sin nature, changes in the likeness of Christ, all for His glory. And we got really nothing to do with it other than to drop to our knees and lift up our hands in praise and say, Thank you, Lord, for what you've done on my behalf. And that's what we're fixing to do here. As we, as we get ready to leave Sunday school, keep these things in mind. This is why we come to church, to lift up praise for what God has done. It's his glory. But we are the beneficiaries of Christ's work on our behalf, which is awesome. That's why grace is so amazing. It's not kind of amazing. It's totally amazing. And so I want you to keep that in mind this week as you think about what Christ has done on your behalf. Any questions, thoughts? Running a little bit over. All right, let me wrap us up in prayer. Father God, we do thank you that we have amazing grace applied to us, that the merit of Christ is imputed to us, and of nothing that we did or could do, you still declare us righteous. And not only that, you don't leave us in our sin. You regenerate our hearts. You prepare a soil. You plant the word of God in us, and it grows. And that, Father, that we grow in understanding of our need of a Savior and we grow toward being more like Him through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, we are so grateful for that because we know we had nothing to do with it. Father, it's all You and what a beautiful picture of Your love as You took our sin and You solved the problem for us and in love and in mercy and grace reached out, chose us as Your people. And Father, may we glorify you in the way we live our lives, in the way we love you, in the way we now worship you. May our hearts be softened such that you receive it well, and that our hearts are right as we lift up our praise that you're worthy of. In Christ's name, amen.